Hola, hola, it's your girl Erica from America. Welcome to the Confidence Chronicles podcast. This podcast is all about helping you stand in who you are. Stop giving a fuck what people think about you. Start standing as your fully expressed self. As you are, as is, there is no filter needed. You are fucking awesome. And I am here to remind you. I'm a confidence coach and I'm a bold stand for confidence. And I cannot wait to dig into today's episode with you. Hello, my loves. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. I have a very, very special guest, special episode. It's a big one. I am so pumped for you to hear all of the things that we talked about today with Lisa Messenger. Beautiful Lisa. Oh, what a soul sister woman she is. If you haven't heard of Lisa Messenger before, where have you been? She's a best-selling author and a very accomplished and incredible raw and real business woman. She's the CEO and editor-in-chief of The Collective Hub, which is an international business and lifestyle platform that publishes books, puts on events, creates other products, and helps people upskill. Like She is just all up in it. She's doing all the things. She's got 20 years almost of business behind her belt. Open book shares everything deeply and openly is such a great human. Um, she grew up in New South Wales. She loves the beach. She loves her man who's now her fiance and her dog Benny. She's living her best life. She has uh, beautiful journals coming out, books. Like, I mean, she's written, I think, 28 books or something. But in a nutshell, she is a boss bitch. And what I loved about our conversation was how open she is. And y'all know I like to keep it raw and real. And uh, she just launched a podcast called um, Hear Me Raw. And it's R-A-W. And she is definitely very raw. You know, she is not about perfection. She is about sharing the journey and the story as to how things are. Uh, and sometimes they're not always pretty. And we talked about everything from business to cults to meditation to death to love to life to dogs to everything. Um, and I know that you're going to enjoy this amazing, amazing conversation. And to be honest, we could have 50 more podcast episodes because Homegirl was incredible. She's amazing. High energy, beautiful vibe. I hope that you enjoy this podcast episode. Please also don't forget to head over to the show notes. We've got all her links there so that you can connect with her. You can follow along the journey. You can support and grab the books. You can also head over and subscribe to her podcast. If you love this podcast, as always, my love, please tag me, the Queen of Confidence. Please tag Lisa Messenger on Instagram. Let us know how you loved this episode. And without further ado, here is our episode with Lisa. So I am very excited that you're here and a little bit fangirling and peeing my pants in an excited way. <laughs> so welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Good to be here. I love that. I don't think I've had someone peeing their pants at the start. Yes, this is, this this very is good. good. <laughs> um, before we even get into all the things, I want to congratulate you on your podcast, Hear Us Raw. Oh, oh my thank gosh. You. Yeah, I know. I feel like I'm following in the footsteps here, but yes. <laughs> yeah, it launched yeah, a couple of weeks ago and it's doing well. So and no big deal. Just Lewis Howe, your first guest. It's all good. Like that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's um I was one of his 
first guests on his podcast oh, years wow. like I think in 2013 or something and we've been friends for a long long time so you know he's such a great podcaster so I was like okay who, who will I have first okay why not go for Lord? <laughs> <laughs> he's had 250 million downloads of his podcast now that's um wow yeah <laughs> oh my gosh yeah that is impressive so the podcast and then the new book work for whenever wherever yeah, so podcast, out. Hear Me Raw, and then work from wherever, my latest book. And then I did a um, a digital masterclass called The Now of Work, which mm-hmm. I sat for hours. And through COVID, I wrote 19,000 words. And I was like, what are all my tips and tricks and learnings over the last couple of years since decentralizing my office in 2018? And so, yeah, I put it all into a 10-part Digi Masterclass, which I filmed from home, but it is Wow. We're going to link it. We're going to link it so you guys can check it out. You've been busy in quarantine. We've got 37 print products coming out this year. So while everyone else was like, oh, I'm bored, I was like, I'm just going to write like a lot of books, (laughs) (laughs) create a lot of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's a good time, though, because I feel um, Sarah hooked us up and she was explaining how you work and how your mind is. And I'm like, she sounds like me, like all these ideas. And my husband's always like, what are you doing? And I'm like, all the things like, hurry up, you know, like I got stuff to do. So I love that you've created how many books now have you? You've got so many books. I've written maybe like 28 to date, but I laugh because um, I kind of go, I don't think anyone read the first like 20 or 18 or something, you know, like so it, it, it was a lot of hustle and heart before yeah. actually anyone read anything. And on the husband thing, it's so funny because my fiance sits at home, you know, working now we, we have, we're lucky we have a three bedroom house. So we have, two of them, which we've transformed into our offices. My fiance sounds like your husband. He's like, what are you doing today? And I'm just like in this, in here going, (laughs) and we walk out at the end of the day and I'm like, so how much bread did you bring in today? It's like, you are insane. He's so like methodical systems and processes, operations. Oh my God, that's my husband. And I'm like, go, 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 go. Yes. I'm like this, I'm like this helium balloon, like, I'm going to go all the way up. And he's like, honey, like, who's going to do that? And does that make sense? It's kind of good though, right? Because then you can, I can bounce off my crazy Gemini ideas and I want to take over the world and, you know, visionary and then be like, actually, who's going to do all that shit? Like there's three of us. <laughs> One of the most important points, having had businesses for 19 years now, <laughs> is that those of us who are creative visionaries, we absolutely need detail-oriented implementers by our side to make shit happen. Yes. You're almost 20 years. Oh, my gosh. No, How- it's a long time, right? Like, But, I mean, I have a lot of battle scars as a result yep. <laughs> and a lot of, you know, successes and I love it I have many 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 lessons you're you're, I said when I introduced you on Instagram like she's the boss bitch I don't want to call you a bitch but like bish you know I was like (laughs) because you really are like you've got and I can't wait to get into it because I want to know all the things um you just have this you don't see it much that open like hey I fucked this up hey I did really well here hey do you want to have a look at this let me write a book about this let me tell you everything and you know I think it's so important especially for young women, for business people in general, all entrepreneurs that want to do something to be able to see you, like uh, I call it like getting metaphorically naked on the internet and being like, hey, everyone, <laughs> here I am. And it's like, you don't see it a lot. So so I thank you and acknowledge you because 
you give us a way, like you pave the way and you show us and you you teach us so that we can see, hey, it's not always amazing. Hey, you sometimes lose a fuckload of money and make mistakes, but you learn. And it gets so beautiful how open you are. Thank you. And um, I mean, that's really what I stand for. And I think some people get shocked. I like the naked metaphor. I've always yeah. <laughs> wanted to be kind of naked in business because so many people don't talk about the financial side or the fuck ups and it's, mm-hmm. you, know, you just see the presented nice, bright, shiny thing. So I'm so happy to talk about any numbers as I have done in all of my <laughs> books. Like I literally am an open book because I think that's how we help each other. So like yeah. I always say to people, this is how much this cost me. This is how much I made. This is where I fucked up. This is what didn't work and plenty of things don't work, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I have a huge amount of output, but you know, a lot of things don't work. So I'm just testing, trying, iterating all the time. And (laughs) you fail it enough, something works eventually, you know. But that's the thing too, because then you know, like you understand and and, and you can share and you can grow and you can, I think that's why you help so many people because you've You've done it and you've been there. And um, I, I share a lot about like my personal life and trauma as a coach, like and all the bad shit and motherhood and how messy it is and all the yucky stuff. Like, you know, like you bleed through your undies and all the fun shit, you know, it's like, yep, I'm sharing all that. But like with business, you don't you, I haven't seen many people and, and it's just like a breath of fresh air because it's the real stuff. It's not all amazing and perfect and curated. It's especially doing a business like you've done for how many many years you've done it. Like it's, I'm in year two. So I'm like, I'm like, okay. So she said, don't grow too fast. And she said, be careful what you wish for. And like, I'm just like studying because, you know, so many people want to have an amazing big business. So I didn't even intro you. I did at the beginning, but can you tell everybody in case they've been living under a rock and they don't know like who you are and what it is that you do now? Can you let us know a little bit about you? Okay, I will. And maybe I think I want to come back to your point about yes, yes. Yeah, startup because uh, bigger isn't better, let me yes. tell you, having oh. been there. And also we need systems and processes and structure and rigor and rituals and routines and discipline and all that stuff. And data is everything. So let me tell you why. <laughs> I'll go back to go forward. Yes. So I started my first business 2001, 22nd of October, 2001, <laughs> just after <laughs> September 11, right, in New York. Oh, wow. So it was um, not a great time to start a business because the economy was in free fall, much like what we've just experienced, but I did. And then the next 11 years, you're only in year two, so yay. <laughs> the next 11 years, I actually over-serviced and undercharged and was everything to everyone and had those <sighs> processes. And it's not a good place to be, right? Yeah, because yeah. what happened was, and many startups will relate to this, you start your own business and you're like, oh my God, this is the most, it is the most exciting thing I reckon you can almost ever do, right? But then what happens is people start hearing about you, that you're good or whatever. And if you don't have a defined offering or a defined purpose, as Mm. I didn't back then, then people start going, oh, my gosh, can you write me a business plan? Oh, my gosh, can you do some marketing for me? Oh, my gosh, can you, like, do some Instagram stuff? And you kind of are good at a lot of things often. So you start becoming the master of many things, well, doing many things, master of none. And that's what I was doing. So I was, like, reinventing the wheel over and over again. I was like, yeah, I'll do that for you. Yeah, I'll do that for you. And that's a terrible way to run a business because 
I can't replicate it and it's not scalable. But if someone said to me, can you teach me how to write a business plan? And I figured out a methodology for that. And then that was my thing. And I did that over and over and over again. And I charged for it. Then you're not swapping time for money. You're actually kind of creating your intellectual property once and then selling it like a dozen times, like, well, hopefully hundreds and hundreds of times. And so it took me a long time to learn that. Like literally 11 years, I had three staff. I think you said you had three now. Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't scale. Like I could not scale. And I had this lofty ambition of having like a big global business and, you know, and I had a lot of ego (laughs) back then. And, and I just was like, I can't, I can't scale this. And I was frustrated. And by 2012, I was making a lot of money. Like I had a very profitable business. Like I'd worked out how to make money and I was replicating, duplicating things. So, but I was bored and I was comfortable and I don't think that's a good place to be. So I was like, this is so frustrating. And Many people who are starting a business will relate to this. It often comes out of frustration and mm-hmm. <laughs> and wanting something yourself. And I was like, there is no magazine out there or no media. And exactly going back to what you said at the beginning, what I do now is like wear my heart on my sleeve and tell it all to help other people. There was no media that was like saying, this is how she did it or this is why she did it all. This is a supply chain. This is how much it cost. Everyone was just telling like the glossy, oh, look at this amazing brand. Isn't this person amazing? And I was like, no, but how, but how, but why, but why? (laughs) My fiance says I wake up going, but how, but how, but why, but why? I'm always asking, how do they do that? (laughs) So I created a magazine called Collective Hub. And um, what's interesting about that, and some people know this story by now, um, I'd never worked for a magazine. I'd never worked in the media. And I just had an idea and I just had this burning passion to be like, okay, I know all these cool entrepreneurs and innovative people. Why don't I smush them all together, very technical (laughs) term, into one thing. And so I was like, I'm going to make a magazine. And then I like Googled, how do you do it? How do you make a magazine? Yes, girl. (laughs) The best. And then I just like, Naivety can be a great thing coupled with some business acumen, which Mm. I had by then, right? And so I launched this magazine, Collective Hub, in March 2013. And within 18 months, that print magazine was in 37 countries. Amazing. And within 18 months, I had an email that said in the subject line, from the office of Anna Wintour. And (laughs) Anna Wintour invited me to go meet with her in New York and she had somehow got a copy of, Wow. Collective Hub and she was like, you know, I mean, for anyone who doesn't know, she was at the helm of, you know, Condé Nast, so, you know, Vogue, Vanity Fair, all the big titles globally. I mean, she's kind of the doyen of publishing globally and little old me who 18 months earlier had no idea what I was doing <laughs> with three staff was being invited. So I flew to New York to meet with her and it was very surreal. Grace Coddington, the one with the hair, was mm-hmm. like opposite us in her office. We had a glass boardroom and Grace is on the phone. I was like, I feel like I'm in the Devil Wears Prize. And then, you know, it got very, very big, very, very quickly. And I got invited to spend time that same year on Necker Island with Sir Richard Branson. I've since shared the stage with him three times and he's wow. been testimonials for my book and we have good friends and yeah. So anyway, that is the very small version of 11 years over-servicing, undercharging, tearing my hair out, no systems, no processes, no ability to scale. Yeah. 11-year overnight success, wow. just yeah, yeah. <laughs> clear the roof off like freaking everything. But 
coming back to what you said before, I scaled too quickly. I had um, then 34 staff within the first year, year and a bit. I had an office that cost me 350 grand a year. My fixed salaries were around $3.5 million. Mm. I had um, heaps of freelancers. So I went from like a small business to a business that was, you know, tens and tens of millions of dollars of turnover very quickly. And, um, and I made some big mistakes along the way. Like the brand was loved I've never been a part of something loved by so many people Mm -hmm. um but inside I started kind of hemorrhaging cash because I scaled too quickly and I didn't have the right systems and processes I didn't have my finger on the data and when you're in that many countries across print digital and then events I was running up to four events a week if you don't have your finger on the pulse with the data and you're intimate with it every single day then things can go south very very quickly <laughs> listen i am i'm like taking all the i'm gonna rewatch this 50 times oh my oh, gosh well i've written you know i, I mean know. You, you said it before i've written seven books since 2013 i think that have like literally day by day daring and disruptive was the first 18 months that was my favorite i'm fucking <laughs> love it <laughs> Roar as shit. Yeah, yeah, and then right through to risk and resilience, where I nearly lost it all. So anyone who's watching, listening to this, read that because it's like a blueprint of what not to do. Yeah, (laughs) but I love it. I think it's so good because I think, especially in the world of social, and especially where people are comparing. And I love social media. Like I don't think it's the devil. I don't think it's the reason why we lack confidence. I think it's how we use it, right? But you do see someone, and you're like. You know, Emma Isaac just had a baby on Instagram live and she's running this global business. But, you know, you you know, like you listen to her and you see people running businesses and seeing like how America didn't work and how they didn't like the name chicks and blah, blah, blah. And like you don't if you don't really pay attention and you don't get the information that you're giving, like reading all of your books, like Daring and Disruptive changed my life. I was like, oh, my God. And I love like the workbook stuff. It was so good. Because it gives you permission, right? Like you're, you're giving, you're sharing openly and you're giving permission. And it's so powerful when you share your story and you stand in it and you're like, if TMZ comes after me, they, they've got nothing on me. Like, listen, I've already spoken about all my shit. Like, good luck trying to find stuff. You know, like we've already opened the doors and, and shared everything. And so it's really powerful because I think in a world where we can compare ourselves and how businesses look, you've shared like literally from the daring and disruptive days to the last book where like your resilience and your your fucking everything. So if you're listening or watching this and you're thinking about biz, please tune in and get all these books because it is, that's the reality, right? It's up and down. Yeah. I think the thing is, it's actually much easier to be authentic yeah. and vulnerable because you just said something so poignant, which is once it's all out there, there are no galatins. There's nothing anyone can ever bring up because you're owning your story, right? And I think it's the things that keep us in our shadows and keep us fearful are the things that we keep inside. So, I mean, I know people say to me every day, thank you so much. And I'm like, no, thank you. I feel like, whoo, could that have been a chance? (laughs) (laughs) So I know it helps people, but also like, if I really fuck something up, I'm like, oh, tell the world. Oh, cathartic. That feels yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. I think we all need some of this. Like, it's just this right here stands for fuck what others think, which FWOT. And it's like a big ethos that I live by. And not in a way of like, fuck people, but in a way of like, fuck that. Like, I will not sit here. And neither should any of us listening, like let people's opinions stop us. And 
I want to know because it, I, I like what I, I heard all your interviews and I was reading all the things and I love your books. And I want to know, like, how did you or where was it born that like ability to go? I'm going to let people be wrong about me. I'm cool with you being wrong about who I am. I know who I am. And fuck it. Let's do this. Like, where did that fuck it? Let's do this. Lisa come about like, you know, it wasn't always like that. I think it's important again, going back. Like I think I was very insecure for many, many, many years. And you know, that came out sideways in a lot of ways. So through my twenties, I mean, I drank a lot and it wasn't healthy, you know, and I alienated people and I kept myself small and I was using alcohol to self-sabotage and using it as a crutch. And um, I actually gave up drinking on the 8th of November, 2004. So I haven't touched a drop of alcohol for um, many, many years. What's that? Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. I think it's That's amazing. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I don't say to anyone, like we have so much alcohol in our fridge. We just yeah. <laughs> we love it because we love entertaining. And, you know, I still dance on tables. Like I'll be the first one to dance on a table. It's so just that I do it consciously and totally <laughs> and I freaking love it. Yeah. And so the thing is, right, 2004 was a defining moment for me because I did a course called the Hoffman process because I was desperately unhappy. Like I was suicidal. And I think now, you know, I, I'm such a mental health advocate because I've been to the darkest places and I know what life was like, and I know what life can be like. And I literally used to um, wake up going to the shower, sit on the floor of the shower and vomit every morning like because I was so sick from alcohol poisoning and ugh. I, I mean I don't talk about this a lot but I'm really again happy to talk about yeah yeah I, I think love it's that. important yeah. I think it's really important for people to know and the thing about that was what I recognize now after having done so many years of work on myself like the Hoffman process it was like an eight-day cathartic retreat and I went in as one person and I came out like a completely different person and then I went on this journey I went to Costa Rica and crawled through sweat lodges nude with like I love this hairy guys asses in my face I have have seen things which cannot be (laughs) (laughs) and um, I went to like communes in India which actually really is a cult it's Osho's commune yes I mean I spent a lot of time I just I didn't go just once for three weeks I went back for another three-week story where you wear purple robes all day every day so I have like gotten really very raw with myself to understand who am I and getting to your point around you know now I'm like supremely confident and um you know I have an unwavering self-belief and you know, things still come at me and, but I kind of, mostly it's kind of like Teflon. I let them slide because I've done a lot of inner work and, you know, a lot of work. Um, and I need to do a lot more, you know, it's a constant yeah, yeah. work in progress really, but all of that and having been there and knowing how awful I felt now, what I now know, and I didn't have the emotional intelligence or the, you know, well, any intelligence really <laughs> at the time, <laughs> And this is what makes me so sad often is that people who feel less than or, um, you know, they don't have that self-belief or they feel suicidal or they have a whole lot of other stuff going on, often often these are some of the most brilliant people on the planet. I mean, we see genius in so many people who have been tortured souls or who still are tortured souls. And I think a lot of it for me when I look back is I was surrounding myself with people who weren't really stimulating me or challenging me. And so... 
as a result, I was acting out, you know, even at school, I was acting out because I was bored in the classroom. So I, I was always asking the same questions I ask now. But how is that? But how, why is that? You know, and what the teachers used to do is send me out of the classroom and say, you're a pain in the ass. You're a brat. You don't conform. Get out. You know, I was always vilified for that behavior. And then mm. the drinking thing was like, I was just bored, you know. I think inside I knew that I had this freaking big fucking passion to do something mm-hmm. in the world, but I didn't yet have the emotional intelligence or the wherewithal or the confidence to do it. And so I just kept myself small and I kept self-sabotaging. And when I put down the alcohol, and I don't say to anyone put down the alcohol, but what I will say is this, get strong and courageous enough to understand what it is for you that's holding you back and keeping mm. you because we all have a thing. Yeah. Mine was alcohol. And by the way, putting down the alcohol doesn't suddenly make me like, whoa, life's amazing. Yeah. And then I then needed to do the work to understand why am I drinking myself into a stupor every night, you know? So that is those little lessons. But now, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the reasons now I'm like, fuck it. I didn't like yeah. not kill myself to not have a great life. I mean, yeah. I often think about how many times I wanted to die. And so I made a decision on the 8th of November 2004 that I'm going to live with joy and I'm going to live with happiness and I'm going to give it my freaking best shot. Oh, you're doing it. <laughs> oh, I love this. I've always questioned like if I should do it because I've had a really turbulent relationship with alcohol. Not now. Now I can actually drink and say, I don't want to have any more. And like that was that was so foreign you know, to me, because I feel like when you have pain or any kind of pain, it doesn't have to be massive trauma. It could just be you don't feel good enough or whatever. And, and we turn to the numbing or the food or the alcohol or the men or the sex or the porn or the Netflix or the social media. And we we're I just feel like we're not able to then feel. And I lost my husband to drinking and driving and broke my back to drinking and driving and still drank and. Oh, you lost was, your husband? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he passed away. So we got into a really bad car accident in in America because you know I was living in Florida. I was twenty three, and I we broke our. We were going like two hundred and forty kilometers an hour, like the fastest you can go. And I broke my back, and I didn't have a seatbelt. They did, and that was horrible. And I was like, okay, we're still gonna drink. And then the next year, he was driving alone, and he he passed away. And that just was the big like fuck. And I feel like we all need the big fuck moment of like shit life is precious oh shit like actually i want to live yeah yeah Yeah. i'm sorry to hear that yeah yeah but i feel like even with you with your father like it's almost like it smacks you with cold water in your face when you lose someone you love or cancer or the 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 four d's you know all the debt divorce death disease whatever happens and you're kind of like oh fuck You've had many, obviously, in business and life, but it's, yeah, it's amazing that you haven't drank in that long. That's incredible. I have no desire anymore. Mm. You know, that took some time. But, yeah, my father, you just alluded to, I was just cleaning yeah. out his garage. After he's, so he um, passed away on the 18th of September 2017. Yeah, it, <laughs> I laugh because, you know, it's like it, the important lesson around this is we can't, control what comes at us mm. every day and just when you think you're in the absolute shittest time of your life <laughs> then more shit comes mm-hmm. and so the only thing we can control is our mindset and I do recommend people go and read risk and resilience because it's like mm-hmm. a hairy tale about you know how three and a half years into collective hub I was too big had scaled too fast all the stuff I've alluded to and I nearly lost everything and just 
right in that moment when I was trying to like dig out of that and be like, oh my God, I'm like sinking and hemorrhaging. And funnily enough, back on the bathroom floor crying every day, but for different Mm. reasons, you know, even at the pinnacle of like the greatest achievement of my career, right in the middle of all of that, my dad died of a heart attack. And so then, I mean, and I'm so grateful for I had a beautiful weekend with him like this you know literally and this is how quickly life can be taken from us my fiance and I had gone up to stay with dad for the weekend in orange he had an apple orchard up there and um there's some photos on Instagram I just reshared them it's quite extraordinary I'm a big I'm quite spiritual and woo woo and yeah yeah I love it it's amazing what the universe does the um day before he passed away he was teaching my fiance to drive the tractor and he um went out to one of his trees with me this is like uncanny my dad had never done this in his life and he got his secateurs and he started chopping these blossoms from the tree and giving them to me and Stephen my fiance because he was there he was taking photos like uncanny that we captured it on camera and that my dad actually cut me flowers and then the next day had um, a very good friend of mine, Bradley Trevor Grieve, was doing a workshop for us um, in my collective hub office. And I was doing Q&A with BTG and that's another whole beautiful story. But um, my PA handed me the phone and said, oh, your sister's trying to call you. And I was like, oh, I'll call her back. And literally came out of that talk. We had 80 people in my office listening to this. And my sister's like, dad just died. And I was like, I just fell to the floor. And I was like, mm. What? the fuck and then the thing is I'm dealing with every day my business hemorrhaging cash and every day my CFO every day every day my CFO saying we need another hundred grand it was like on repeat and every day I was like where the hell is this money Mm. going right and then my dad had a business with like seven employees and suddenly I'm in marine insurance and suddenly I'm like oh my god now I've got to go like deal with my dad's team and try and work out how to run this and sell, and then I had to sell his business. So I'm in the middle of everything and dealing with the legals and the wind out of his business. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't even deal with my own stuff. And now I'm going to do with all this. <sighs> had you been to India yet? Like, did you have a guru that you could call? Like, where, how did you get through besides your amazing, he was your boyfriend at the time, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Benny, right? Good old Benny. But like, how Benny, did you my get- dog. <laughs> How did you, because shit happens and it hits the fan hard and it hit the fan hard. And it was very sudden, like you, like for me, my husband was sudden as well. So you don't get that, you know, it's it, it's not good when anybody passes, but the sudden is like, fuck. And then you're in the middle of that. Oh, and it just kept coming. Like then Dana, this crazy girlfriend who's like, <laughs> the, the wheel, I mean, she was fine. She was lovely. And she was then the wheel. And it was like, here it is very clear cut. There was three versions, three copies of the wheel, oh, exactly the same over like 20 years. Yet she was nice as pie. And then suddenly out of nowhere, we get a legal letter saying she actually wants everything. So then we're dealing with all of that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How did I deal with it? I am, um, oh, you know, there are times I didn't because it's it's one thing to be dealing with something that's almost within your control. Like my business mm. almost failing was my fault and I take 100% responsibility for that. And so dealing with that, you know, I surrounded myself with 
an extraordinary guy, Damien, who I've since pimped out to many people because <laughs> he literally was like, right, today you do this, today you do this. He's oh, like the good. most extraordinary person who was like, Lisa, you dial for cash today and this is how much you need to bring in. Like he just pushed me and I just did it and I just did it and I just did it, right? So that was kind of in my control. I worked harder than I've ever worked to you know, keep that business afloat and do the ultimate pivot, which I ended up doing. And, you know, and that could have, many people in that situation, you know, they file for bankruptcy or insolvency or like liquidation, whatever the thing, I don't even know what those things mean actually, because I was like, no freaking way. I'm a little fighter. I'm going to pay every cent. I'm going to do everything right. Right. So I just did. And I worked my ass off. So that was one thing. But then having like, you know, dad's lawyers and accountants suddenly at me, at me, at me, at me as well. And I was like, that I didn't choose, that I didn't fuck off, (laughs) that I kind of inherited that kind Mm -hmm. of whole thing. And I was dealing with the grief, but then also having to deal with the whole, you know, systems and processes and operational side of all of his stuff. And I didn't have time to process and grieve really through that and you know and also what I mean there's also comical moments right dad's neighbor Judy she goes we went around to his house you know my sister and I and we go oh you know dad died yesterday and she goes oh my cat died and we were (laughs) and we were like Okay, Judy. You're like, thanks. <laughs> yeah, living yeah. next to you for like mm, maybe 40 years, but oh my okay. God. Like, sorry to hear, but and then it was all about Judy's cat. So I was like, mm. you know, there are lighter yeah, moments yeah. because you realize that whatever is going on for you in your life is just very different often to yeah, yeah. how other people are perceiving things. I'm sure you had some other strange things as well. Oh. So I had to really take some time out and consciously you know, grieve and be with my feelings around my dad because I didn't have the time and space a lot of the Mm. time through all the chaos that was ensuing. Yeah. I'd read um, that you had went on a forced holiday for like a couple of weeks to like, okay, stop and break. Is that, did that happen during that time? It did. You know, I had to even remember, yeah, I went to Italy with my now fiance. He went and walked the Camino Trail for, which is amazing. So it's a thousand kilometers in 30 days and and people will laugh because he's not a walker, right? (laughs) And his practice was, um, we live in Bondi and he went to, walk the Bondi to Bronte with his backpack on yeah. boots in practice. And we got from Bondi to Tamarama, which is like, I don't know, maybe like a kilometer and a half. And he's like, oh, I'm tired. We need to stop. <laughs> and so then he went straight into this thing, like oh literally God. 30 to 40 kilometers walking every single day for 30 days, I think, to, you know, make it through. Oh, my gosh. So Damien had said to me, And this is a great piece of advice for anyone in business. I do sprints now, you know, like give yourself sprints. In the next six weeks, I'm going to do this. In the next 12 days, I'm going to do this. Like my whole business is run in sprints now. And Damien said, right, six weeks, buckle in. And it's funny, in at that time, nearly 17 years of having my own business, I'd never had a boss. I'd never had anyone telling me what to do. But I brought Damien in as an advisor and it was the best thing ever because he was literally like, right, today you need to make this much money. Today you need to do this. Unfortunately, some days you need to make these people redundant. Like he just was like, do this, do this, do this. So for six weeks I worked harder than I've ever worked in my life and that's saying something for me because I'm a hard worker. (laughs) And then at the end of that my reward was, and Damien made me do it, 
He said, get on a plane to Italy, which I did for three weeks to meet Stephen Camino. And this was interesting. Damien said, switch off from everything for three weeks. I want to see if this business is now sustainable without you. Now that we've got systems and processes in place and you've gone your hard yards, like 18 months, but then that solid six-week sprint, is it stable without you? Sadly, it turns out it wasn't. (laughs) And so I had to make some more drastic measures, but it was a good test to go, can this stand up now? Is it robust enough without you? And um, we could talk about that as well if you want. Like a lot of people say, is it good to like be the figurehead of your business or is it better to not? I mean, I don't know if you want me to go there. Yeah. Well, it's so funny because I was just talking to my husband. I was reading something of Tim Ferriss's and it was like, could you go away for four weeks off the grid? Not that I want to be off the grid because I love Instagram, but, you know, I'm like, could I go away? You know, and obviously I don't run like there's three of us. One of them is my husband. Right. But it's a global, you know, we've got 250 clients in 14 countries and we run live events and we do all the things. And it's like, could I actually remove my addiction to being with my clients and the women of the world and doing this work and go off and just even sitting on my uh, sitting on my um, couch thinking about it and talking to my husband, like my heart started beating. I was like, fuck, could we could we do this shit? Like, what? Uh, and he's like, we're not doing it right now, but it's a good thing to play with and think about. And, you know, as a visionary, you start thinking and creating it. And I'm like, there would have to be some legitimate shit that we set up. It's, it's a great exercise to think about that. It's a really, really good exercise. And I mean, these days it's interesting because in April 2018, I decided to do away with my 350,000 bricks and mortar office and, um, and you know, set everyone free and work from wherever the yeah. time of my book last year. And that was hard. You know, there was a lot of ego attached to me having a, a big, you know, penthouse office, uh, you know, 600 square meter office that people used to walk into and be like, oh, my God, this is yeah. your office. Like, <laughs> we had um, rabbits that ran free range all over the oh. office, Mr. and Mrs. Pickles and my dog Manny. <laughs> to the office and we had parties like that you'd never seen and you know amazing amazing but the thing about that is so much of what we'd been writing about you know how to have a side hustle how to be a digital nomad and there were some of our most popular articles and content that we produced and also I was just like of the 34 full-time staff interestingly only three of them were writers yet really I was running a global content business Mm. and so all of my writers I'd always been freelancers anyway, and you would have heard me talk about this, but, you know, if I wanted a someone to write on fashion in Milan, well, I had writers or tech in Berlin, I had writers. So I was always using like freelance writers who specialized in different business verticals and geographic locations anyway. Mm. And I got to a point after sort of hemorrhaging so much cash where I was like, this isn't necessarily a sustainable way of working anymore. And actually if people can have location freedom and have the ability to work when they want, but work more with KPIs, so key performance indicators and deliverables and output and productivity as opposed to time in office and bums on seats. Yeah. And let's try that. And so, you know, with trepidation, I was like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> but I, I realised that so many of my team, like of that 34, my bookkeeper, Kate, who's been with me ooh, maybe 13 years, she was never part of that. 34 people. Kevin, my IT guy, has been with me 12 years. He wasn't part of that 34. Jody, who does all my logistics and distribution of all my books and all my mags when they were going globally, maybe eight years. So I had a huge yeah. team 
beyond that 34 that had worked for me for years and years and years as freelancers or consultants, you know, external to the office. And so that's why I decided to kind of break it all. And the interesting thing about that is that we are way more efficient and productive. And also Mm. I can run a much bigger team and our revenue this year, maybe next, probably next year will surpass what it was when we were in that big operational thing, which is amazing. Our profitability certainly is when we were like minus a lot. (laughs) Um, So it's now a very profitable business and everyone's really happy because it means that if they want to do yoga in the middle of the day or pick their kids up from school or they work better at midnight, they've got that flexibility. But it means that it's a much more data-driven business. So every single day I get pulse checks from all of my team members. So depending on what their role is in the businesses, I have a few businesses now, I'll get data in terms of, you know, just so I can measure and keep my finger on the pulse now. How's that tracking? You know, where should we invest? Where should we put marketing dollars behind, you know, well, that's behind what we thought. Let's not do that again. Because, you know, for example, with 37 print products coming out this year, you know, some of those are 60 grand print bills each, you know. Mm. And so I got to like have my finger on the pulse in terms of, well, what's going to actually sell? How much do I order? What's my inventory? What channels are we pushing those through? And, you know, that's just one of my verticals and revenue streams. Now we have digital masterclasses. I do a lot of live speaking yeah. able to and um, <laughs> have mentoring groups now and I'm lunch, you know, there's a lot. So I have to really have data continuously fed to me so I can slice and dice appropriately. Otherwise, you know, I can't run a business with several million dollar turnover and not sink it. Potentially, again. I, just, I just think what you've been through is so cool because you you have so many lessons and I love your grit like you're I'm not gonna die we're gonna fight we're gonna do this we're gonna come back you know like how how fucking good do you feel though honestly like that feels good to be like that was where it was this is it now like you have this and I don't think that is something you learned I feel like internally you've had this forever because I feel like some people have this like or maybe you did learn it I'd love to hear and I'm sure the listeners would love to know like what is the a lot of the Instagram questions were like what's your self-belief what's your how your confidence or your belief in yourself like that you can do this shit even if you've never done it or like do a magazine you're like you have this internal like Mm-mm, I'm going for it what if it fails fuck it next thing let's go like you just have that and it's amazing I think it's in all of us in some way or another but we need to learn the tools to tap into it and also what I would say is yeah I do all the things but you remember I said I fail it a lot as well it's because I'm unafraid but to put it in, into perspective and if people do read daring and disruptive the first book in this series, which I suggest. I talk about in there, I think in 2001, 2002, I just remember the figure 80, right? Someone either needed to pay me an invoice of $80 or I needed to pay an invoice of $80. I can't remember which, doesn't matter. What I remember is the feeling surrounding that. And I remember being like, oh my God. Okay. So the thing is, everything's relative for anyone listening. It's no one's bigger or better just because I have like a big business now doesn't matter. Same stuff, right? I had to learn to 
I get help outside of myself. So, you know, okay, whoa, invoice. Oh, okay, bookkeeper, mm. <laughs> you know, CFO, accountant. Like, what are these people? And then maybe you get a legal letter. Whoa, need a lawyer, need to, or, <laughs> you know, oh, need to get a trademark. Like, you need to start surrounding yourself with a coach, with a mentor, with a whatever skill set you need to supplement your weaknesses. And then it's not so overwhelming. But for me, anyone listening to this today, I want you to do something counterintuitive. And it's almost like just start simple. Like, I mean, I do freaking crazy ass counterintuitive things every single day on purpose, (laughs) consciously. But I'm just, if you fold your arms right over left, then just fold your arm left over. That's really uncomfortable. Or if you go to the same coffee shop every day, well, go to a different suburb and a different coffee shop or go crawl nude through a sweat lodge in Costa Rica. You know, like <laughs> you don't have to go to the extremes that I do, but I do it on purpose and I do things purposefully beyond our Western culture as mm. much as I can to push myself hard and push my belief system and then I go, whoa. Ah, uncomfortable. And then I come back to, whoo, that's not my belief system. That's not who I am. (laughs) Those are my values. But I only know that because I push myself into crazy scenarios. In a business sense, you know, with social media, we can test things really quickly in real time. So you'll often see on my Instagram, I'll put something up like, hey, is this a good idea? It's like crickets. So you'll never hear about it again. But I test is someone going to buy this? And in mm. fact, Daring and Disruptive, I talk about a specific exercise about um, a friend of mine who was like, I want to run fruity tours in Bali. And I was like, okay, well, just what are you going to do about it? Now, most people would plan that. But I'm like, literally, any of you listening today, just put up on Facebook or Instagram, hey, I want to blah, blah, blah. And then are you interested in this? Like that's mm. the start of an idea, right? You can't fail at that point. You've spent no money. Yeah, your confidence, which could take a bit of a hit, but that's probably your ego. Yeah, Um, if people are like, "Mm, "Don't want to do that," well, then great, don't do it. You've spent no money, no time. But if there's even a hint of interest, then then at that point, I go, "Ooh, foodie tours in Bali." Okay, how much would that be? And then I would test the market again and go, "Hey, that's going to be like three grand. Are you still interested? If you're still getting bites at that point, then I put the rigor." behind it and then I start testing okay well this might have legs and so that's the way that you can test quickly and not take too much of a blow to your confidence Mm. I think the blow to their confidence comes I think when they put all of their everything into it all their time their money their ego their expectation expectation yes yeah like ugh um their idea of how it should be they attach so much to this right Mm. you can detach from a specific outcome and kind of again be like okay I'm going to try this so the reason so many things work for me or it looks like I'm outwardly successful is like in equal measure or if not more things fail right Mm. it's just that I'm testing a lot and also I don't make the same mistake twice so this year people will say we're testing a lot of different print products we're testing a lot of different digital products on the ones i'm testing i'm making the print runs smaller i can tell you in real time best yeah. life journal new format new price point we released it um pre-release a few weeks ago i'd done a small print run of a few thousand because i was like 
I don't know. Now, normally I do a 15,000 print run, but oh, I made a mistake. Yeah, I did that with a travel journal <laughs> and it sold 18 in the first like two weeks or something. I nearly died. I was like, I've just printed like 15,000 or something of the suckers. Yeah. <laughs> best life. I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to test this print a few thousand. Now that sold in the first. I think two hours, 718 wow. copies or something. So I went, whoa, ah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so test small, you know, yeah. MVP, minimal viable product, and then go, whoa. Now, you know, that takes, reprint takes eight weeks, but I've gone to, I did pre-release on that three weeks before the actual copies are landed, which means I've reprinted straight away as soon as that yeah. happens. And so there won't be so much lag. So hopefully I'll be able to gap fill. So I would say to people, you know, just test because we don't know. Even I, after I've said, I thought that travel journal would fly. It really didn't. I mean, it's okay now, but it's certainly nowhere near. I mean, it's terrible. I'm going to have like 14,000 sitting in my garage. Merry Christmas, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, you're the queen of like sponsor collaboration. I'm like, oh, I know. Well, I had an idea, of course, before COVID. (laughs) All the cruise companies, you know, they can buy them as premiums, incentives, gifts. See, you're amazing at that. Well, that's what I do, right? (laughs) Give them to everyone who jumps on the cruise ship. Well, of course. Thank you, Ruby Princess. There won't be any of that. No. <laughs> Do you know what, though? I feel like you, like, almost like a psychic, like the universe hooked you up and prepared you for the pivot, prepared you for the working from home. And, like, you guys have been doing that since. Oh, so let me tell you that then, <laughs> you know, my risk and resilience book, which on the cover has the word pivot and, you know, how to, like, survive and all this stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Because of what I went through. And then my book, Work From Wherever, they literally have sold thousands every single day. I've actually, I've loved COVID. Um, And I'd love to ask you some, some, I got some questions from business peeps, like advice, little, you know, quick fire or whatever. However, I love talking a lot. So I could talk to you for 15 hours, as you guys can probably already tell. I'm like, my cheeks hurt from smiling. Um, But I've loved, I I hate to say, but I've loved COVID. Like in regards to business, like I fucking love you, COVID. Like it's been amazing for us besides the live event situation, which I miss humans and women and hugging people. um, I think someone like yourself wouldn't be like, oh, this is bad news. Like you said, some people were bored and and not moving and you're like creating all the things because you're solving problems. And there were so many problems Uh, business problems, which are the business for business, right? Like you are the queen of it, but like mental health problems, which is like my world of life coaching. Like I'm like, this is when humanity needs meditation, mindfulness, managing their mind, connection, deep connection. Like, oh man, I've, how have you guys went with this, this whole situation, this time? Um, I have, is it too much to say loved? Yes. I, I know. Mean, I, I, know. Need, I feel like I need to acknowledge their horrible health and economic implications for others, but I have absolutely thrived in it, as have my team, because this is the thing, you know this in your work, I know this in my work. There are people who take the same situation and they'll mm. be like, oh, my God, my life is over, I'm a victim, this is horrible, I can't yeah. survive, I can't cope, ah, you know. Or there are people who are like, oh my gosh, opportunity, yeah. let's take the time and space, let's create, let's find solutions. And I mean, I've trained my mind to always be solution orientated as opposed to problem orientated and positive orientated as opposed to, you know, everything's falling mm. apart. And so for me, I mean, I've found it almost 
strange because I am working harder and longer hours than I've probably worked in years, but loving it mm-hmm. more than I've loved in years because like it's a, I mean, I'm on a plane normally most weeks on a stage yeah. somewhere, which I'm very grateful for. And also I'm being pulled in lots of directions, which I love because, and I'm grateful for because I've created a very big life. So I have a lot going on. So to be able to sit in my you know spare room which is now my home office which I'm now sitting in and just get shit done mm. and with technology I can run and have been multiple businesses multiple projects through this time and the output has been insane and also having been able to serve through this time has been mm. one of the greatest gifts because yeah. I'm confident and resilient and you know not much gets me down or if it does it gets me down quite strongly but for a short period of time and then I might come back and so it's been nice being in service for you know a lot of other people and giving them the tools and inspiration Mm -hmm. and education to support them through this and I really say to anyone I would encourage anyone to do the work to flip your mindset to have the tools to be able to see things differently you know see adversity as an opportunity and I'll give you a quick example. When the restaurant industry, you know, so many people in hospitality, everything was falling apart and people were panicking and rightly so because they had, you know, bricks and mortar. That's their life. People come into our restaurants. And I rang a good friend of mine, Paul Schult, who has um, a restaurant and a nightclub and everything else. And it was the hottest thing in Sydney. It's called Prince of York. And I said, oh, my God, how are you going? And he said, Lisa. I don't know if this is bad. He said, I feel like I'm in a little speedboat and I'm (laughs) waving. And he said, I feel fantastic. And I was like, why is that, Paul? And he said, well, last week I had one business, which was people came in and they ate and they, you know, went to the nightclub and stuff. He's like, I've got three businesses now. He quickly pivoted and he had a little food truck and he was running around and delivering food. And he was noticing where are the problems? Where can Mm -hmm. I provide a solution? Because of all this, we're running out of pasta and, you know, things like this. He's like, well, I have a kitchen. Okay, people can't come and eat in my restaurant right now. I'm going to make pasta and I'm going to home deliver it. And, like, he just started creating. And that's the thing for anyone. Harness a freaking confident and, you know, unwavering self-belief and that mindset. And then you suddenly start going, oh, my God, shit's coming at me. Okay, what am I going to do with this shit? Yeah. And that's the thing. When you're a true entrepreneur, you learn to be resilient and you learn to see, okay, this is happening. And you you almost get excited about this is happening. What am I going to do with this? I mean, mm. I like it now. I freaking love it. I love it when that <laughs> shit happens because now I'm like, bring it on, baby. Yeah, Let's like, it. Next this level. Is, <laughs> this is my time, you know, when my backup is up against the wall now. That's when I'm like, yeah, let's go. I want everyone listening to like just do the little things, little counterintuitive things, train your mindset. And you do more and more and more of it and you take more and more and more risk and then suddenly you're like freaking flying and nothing really gets you down. So that's, that's what I would say to that. Oh, and I don't know if you guys heard, but if you've been listening to this podcast, I always tell you to do your work and work your shit out and work on your mindset. You got to work on your stuff or your stuff's going to work on you. So Lisa Messenger has just told you basically to work on your shit. If you haven't dealt with your lack of validation or your egoic stuff or your needing to prove or your people pleasing, you know, like I feel like more women have mommy issues than daddy issues, to be honest, like everybody I serve, it's like mom stuff, you know, and, and it does affect us because 
I hope no one says this in business anymore, but like business is not personal. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm a fucking person in the business. Everything that has to do with my personness is going to rock up into that business and is going to fuck it up or it's going to add value to it. And so we, 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 we need to work on ourselves and our beliefs and our limiting beliefs and how we think about ourselves and the not good enough bullshit because it impacts. I'm really glad you just said that. The business is not personal thing. Yeah. You know, I haven't thought about that for a while. And, and that is what you're told all the time. It's not personal. You know, someone goes to resign. It's not personal. Well, it is personal. Yeah. Because that's the thing. It's, um, yeah. I mean, our, you're a person. Our business is our life. And I think so much of what I say in business is let's humanize it. You know, let's yes. have the conversations. Let's not sell at people. Let's like, you know, make them part of a community. Whatever it is, let's provide solutions. And, and then it just flows. So yeah, it is, it is deeply personal. I think. Of course. Let's own that. We just need to work on our shit. And I love that you shared a bit about you know, going to India and, and doing the, the Hoffman process. Like, did you, are you, did you get a coach ever? Were you like a therapy? Were you like a spiritual shamanic? Like what was it all of it? All of it. (laughs) (laughs) India. So you get to the commune slash cult. And it's so funny because you know, when I went there the first time, you know, being a non-detail orientated person, I had just like heard years ago, I'd done another course called Path of Love and people who were there were like, um, a lot of that is Osho based work and people mm. had been like Puna, you know. And so when the shit hit the fan big time in business and I really was having a meltdown, I said to my PA, give me a flight to Puna. But I hadn't actually done any research or looked on the website or I had actually no idea I just like heard about Puna like seven years before anyway and I was like it's gonna be this magical place take me to Puna right and then I got there and like by the way you've got to fly to like Mumbai and then you get in a rattly old car for like five oh my hours gosh. Puna. Five hours. I arrive and um so it's like 17 hours and then five, whatever it's a long time right to get there and I get there and I'm like so disappointed and so out of my comfort zone and everyone is walking everyone you have to you cannot firstly you've got to have like a um I think you have a HIV test when you go so like it's very fucking confronting I've just been on this long plane right I get like a as someone taking my blood to test if I have HIV before I go in and then before I can go anywhere I have to buy at the Puna shop, the purple robes, and then I have to change into my robes and then everyone's identity is stripped and you're walking around in your robes, right? And then anyway, blah, blah, blah. Now what's funny oh is- Oh, my like, God, I that's another to, podcast, Lisa. I we need to it. tell this story sometimes. <laughs> and I was like, anyway. And then the um, the thing came out on Netflix. I think it's oh, called yes. Country. The, yes, Rajneel. So then everyone's like, oh, my God, is that the cult that you go to? And I was like, yes, but it's not like that anymore because it's like that- documentary is yeah. like very much a hardcore sex yeah, cult. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 meditate. Like it's very different now. And I realized sometimes you've got to be careful, but they still yeah. do the HIV of testing and stuff. But yes, I, I, I have and do put myself in wild and wacky places. And Love it. Um, yeah. I love it. <laughs> it oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. I'm like, come back later. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to segue back to biz and come back. I love cults. I was in a cult and I'm obsessed with cults and that's a whole nother story. I'm like, I didn't know it was a cult, but it was a cult, but I did, it was a business cult. It was a rip of Tony Robbins, a rip, like literally rip. I didn't know about Tony Robbins until I joined this cult and then saw Tony and was like, 
is Tony copying this man? Oh, no, this man ripped him. And then people started having sex with him. And then people started disappearing. And it was like NLP black magic, like the bad. And after two years, I was like, oh, shit, we were in a cult. You know what I realized is that people like that. And I think, oh, shit, like, he's amazing. I loved I loved that documentary. I loved it. Um, but I just think in general, like people that are leaders and inspire others, uh, it seems – I love NLP. I don't think it's a bad thing. But it seems like – they they give you what they think you want, which is all the egoic like validation. Again, the childhood shit that you didn't get. And so you think, yeah, this is okay. And because you're not paying attention and you're in this little bubble and, and community. But I learned everything, every single thing in business now. Like I never listened in the cult. And now I'm like, oh, all the lessons, all the models and all the... So it was an amazing experience. But crazy how that can happen. You know, the the I, I feel how people get into cults because you're just seeking, um, as Brene Brown says, like that belonging, you know, you're just seeking to be belonging and to be with people and you don't see the red flags. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. And what I will say quickly on that is this. I yeah. mean, I've explored a number of different modalities from, you know, going to AA and the 12-step program when I gave up drinking to, you know, crazy stuff in India to all sorts of things. And I, and, you know, I'm not religious, but if a friend of mine says come to church, I'm like, sure, I'll go to church. So I love exploring a lot of different modalities, but I'm I'm a very big believer in I kind of got, dip my toes in, explore, yeah. and then I take from it what I want and synthesize it into my own understanding because, I mean, God, that is a whole nother conversation. I think <laughs> like you having been a part of many different things, you know, often the underlying teachings are the same, but we yeah. do, I, I see how people, it's like um, people will often vilify you for not continuing to go back to something. And I'm like, well, I didn't get well to continue to, on a path exactly. of engaging this now. Yes. That is my um, choice and my understanding of it. And I, it's just how I choose to do life. Yeah. I choose to, I choose to take a lot from a, a different, a lot of different things. I choose to be a seeker and explore, but then I bring it back into my own, you know, way of synthesizing it and, you know, integrating it into my life, how I want. There is no yeah. one thing that I 100%. remain, remain a part of for a whole lot of mm. cultish reasons. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> yeah. though. But it's so true. It's like, you know, and, and this is what I love about you. Like when you listen to Lisa, when you read her books, when you see her on stage, like you really can see like you're a woman who knows who you are and you're okay with who you are, even if it, that's thing is air quotes wrong or you messed it up or whatever. It's like, cool, I'm good with all the punches that I'm giving myself and life is giving me and I'm getting back up and I have this saying that's like, fuck it up, get back up, fuck it up, get back up. Like, just go, you know, because like if you fall down and worry about how you fell and who saw you fall, it's like, oh my God, just fucking get up already and you're going to fall again. And so I, I love it because you you have that that self-belief and that that I'm going to do this and it doesn't really matter. It's not that it doesn't matter. That's not the right word, but it's not uh, like you said before, expectation and outcome based. It's you can tell that you've done lots of work with your spirit, soul and higher trust that if we're if we're shifting, okay, trust that there's a, a better opportunity or that that needs to finish and you don't have to fight for it or be attached to it. And I think that that's what these things can teach us, you know, is like everything's a lesson, you know. And that's the thing. 
everything's a lesson and everywhere we look, if you're open to it, there are lessons and mm. the work needs to continue. So yes, I feel like you're my new friend. If you, <laughs> know, if you know any other crazy places, <laughs> I am all in. I freaking oh, I'm, gonna tell you I'm actually is. ready for another deep dive into some. I'm about, I'm about to do some deep dive too, because I feel like the universe is trying to punch me in the face with like the stopping. Cause I do not stop. Yes. And be like, and I'm like, I don't want to stop. It's like, calm yourself, get in there. I feel like I'm going to get punched in the face in a good way with universe and spirit and all that. So business peeps hit me up because they love you as well. And they're like little bits of advice. Um, I have don't grow too fast, which that's mine for me. But what would you say for someone starting out They're in their 30s, late 20s, they want to do digital nomad, they want a business? What would be like one thing you could say? I know that there's many, but to someone starting? The biggest thing is purpose, a sense of purpose and a sense of why. I have a book called Purpose that I wrote in India largely <laughs> at the cold <laughs> when I was doing some searching. Um, I think that's like it's really important to start with like just start to go, what am I great at? What makes me feel really good? If you start to listen to that not external validation piece, but just like, what are people saying? Oh, wow, you're really good at that. So I think that, you know, and then the fourth part of that is, you know, is there some commercial merit? You know, is there someone who might want to buy this? So what do you love? Mm. What are you great at? Um, what are other people saying you're great at? And is there a market or is there some kind of potential commercial around that? So that's a good place to start. And then just fucking start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then just, <laughs> you know, thinking. just, just don't, don't overthink it. I think the thing is just start, you know, it's like all the time I'm just starting. Like, you know, when I decided to do a podcast, I was like, oh, I mean, I kind of fought it for a while because I was like, oh, there's so mm. many great podcasts. Why should I do it anyway? And then I was, and then, oh, and I don't know how to do a podcast. And then I was like, just do the podcast, you know, like, yeah. And so it's like you just start something. And the thing is, done is better than perfect. I mean, that's a good saying, yeah. right? Because you just start and you're going to, change it and iterate. I mean, when I did the first issue of the magazine, my gosh, it's, it became so different, you know, two issues later, 54 issues later, yeah. so different. When I wrote my first book, so different what I do now. When I did my first podcast, actually, it was pretty good. That was with Lewis. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> but I'm going to get better and better, you know, and I'm going to learn more and more. And so just start and um, surround yourself with good people, you know, mm. and not just yes people. Sometimes they need to be no people as well. So, yeah. you know, get a great team. And um, my book, Money and Mindfulness, talks all about how there's more currencies than cash. And that's important when you're starting out because a lot of people have barriers and blockages around, but I have no money. So in that book, I talk all about, you know, how there are more currencies than cash. Mm. What can you trade? You know, what have you got in your toolkit that you can say, hey, can I do this for you? Can you do this for me? I'm very big yeah. on value exchange. So, yeah, just, um, yeah. Just do it. Start do it. it. Really, just start, yeah. What about hiring staff? Because you, uh, I'm also going to pay attention very hardcore to this one. So from 3 to 34, no. <laughs> I think from 3 to 17, I did well. From the rest, I did very badly. Because I'm a great founder. I'm not a great CEO. So that's so good too. Like that's a whole nother fucking podcast book, everything. Yes. Yeah, that that's, is. Mm. And well, all of this in some way, shape or form is probably in my last lot of 
books so people can like read their way through them. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, there is a deal on our website. I think it's like 149 bucks for like all my books. We just okay, have, we're like, linking but, that below. Please look at like, them all. For everyone, just like I think it's like three hundred dollars worth for 149. I was like, just go have them all, read them all. Cause I just all want books. people to have access to that. Yeah. Hiring staff. I mean, I always hire attitude over experience because mm. I teach experience, unless if you're starting a business being a brain surgeon, maybe not. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> most other things it's like, you know, people can learn a lot of stuff on the job and, and I love people who are just like, I just want to, you know, get in and get my hands dirty and I'm going to learn and I'm going to like, I think that's really, really important. And I always look at um, what's the company's vision? What's their vision? You know, how do they sit together? Because I think it's really important to understand the individual. Mm. And I always, I don't look at just their CV. I look at their life experience and I often ask them to go and do like a, a life line instead love of that. CV line. So like, tell me the hard things you that. Been through. Like, did you go through a divorce? How did that impact you? What lessons did you learn? You know, oh my like God. whatever, however deep they want to get or shallow they want to be with it. I mean, that tells me a lot about them as well. Like, tell me what you've learned. Tell me about the life lessons. Tell me about the hard times and how you dealt with it. Like that, to be honest, I'm more interested in than, you know, oh, I worked at this place and this is what went Yeah, on. yeah. Like, I love that. A lifeline. It's like a little timeline therapy session. Tell me all the things. Oh my God. I love that. Okay. I'm going to steal that. I love that. Thank you. Okay. Last one. Cause you got to go. Um, how do you tell the difference between fear or intuition? For me, when I think about what's intuition, intuition is like, pushing myself harder harder and harder into situations over the years. And so your gut or your intuition becomes very finely tuned. And I always listen to it. I mean, it's actually never wrong. So mm. if you have a, a off feeling about something, generally if I have that and I proceed with that thing, I'm like, that nah, didn't work. I knew yeah. that. Like you know, right? You, yeah. just, know you just know. Intu- I go like 97% gut feel 3% data probably on most things. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, I love that, I, yes. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I mean I look at the data quite well, now, but intuitively but I it's true, yeah. Know. And even intuitively I know about data, you know, like yeah. you kind of get pretty honed because it's all fed into us. The fear thing I also talk about in Daring and Disruptive a bit. I'm, I, I used an analogy because I go fear is if you're standing on the edge of a cliff and you're about to jump off, well, that's real danger and that is something you should be fearful of. But then I kind of play mind games with myself and I go, what am I irrationally fearful of? Well, cockroaches. Oh, my God, me too. <laughs> I so hate them. I like, <laughs> if I immersed myself, well, this is going to gross you out. If oh my God. I immersed myself, like they have to do sometimes in I'm a Celebrity Game, yep. like in a tub full of cockroaches or something, like am I fearful of that? Is, does it, is yeah. there a danger in that? Or is that just? Just gross. Just gross. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I really, and also fear, I feel like we need like 15 podcasts. I know. Fear is like often things that, aren't going to happen. We have this perception yeah. of something that's going to happen. So I quickly reverse engineer that and go, what's the worst case scenario? And I let myself go there very quickly. And then I reverse engineer it back, like within 30 seconds to a minute. <laughs> and I go, cause you don't want to stay there too long. Like, okay, what's the worst? Okay. I could lose my house. My whole company could go under. I could die. Like I go, yeah. worse, worse, worse. And then I go, Woo, quick. 
And then I go, okay, who are the people in my circle who can help with that? Who can I yeah. reach out to? Is it a financial situation? Can I reach out to my accountant or my CFO or my bookkeeper? Is it a legal thing? Can I reach out to my lawyer? Is it something that Raj, the spiritual guru in India, whew, Raj, I need help. So then I quickly go, so that's how I can quickly come back to present and be like, okay, I was afraid of it, but actually I have the tools and the team in place mm. to help and so that's not going to happen. And so yeah. straight away I'm like, okay, I'm calm, I'm here, I'm present, I'm in the moment, this is okay. Okay, so what's next for you? Where can we find you? Where can everybody stalk you and, and do all the things? Well, Lisa Messenger across like, Instagram, like all the socials. Everywhere. Um, yeah, uh, Collective Hub also across all the things. Um, and then my podcast, Hear Me Raw, R-A-W, which is on all the things. And then collectivehub.com if you want to jump in and, you know, buy any of the books or sign up to our newsletters or, you know, or we do like a mini mag now once a week online. Awesome. So sign up for that. So, yeah. And lots of online stuff too, a lot of classes and heaps of online stuff. Yeah, but jump onto collectivehub.com on my Insta and you know, you'll find everything. Check so it out. thank you. Thank you. I love you. You're amazing. Oh my gosh. Everybody go stock and please go and subscribe to Hear Me Raw and please leave a review. Tag us in this podcast if you are watching, if you are listening and you loved it like we have. I've loved this. It's so good. Um, soul sister. So thank you. <laughs> My darling, we are in wild times right now. And in order for you to manage your mind and boost your immunity and be level-headed instead of panic, I want to invite you to consider online training, to consider joining a community, a sistership where you are going to be held, where you're going to be supported, where you have a safe space to unravel. And with all this time at home, you can actually better your life and work on yourself. Good news as well, I have now done a 12-month payment plan for the online sisterhood. So many women right now are experiencing trouble with their finances, losing their jobs, being single mothers, not knowing when their next money or paycheck is going to come from. And we are navigating that with our current sisterhood members. We are working with every woman that we can in order to support them in these tough times. And I hear you out there saying, I'd love to join the sisterhood, but I can't afford it. I can't afford six payments. So what I've done is made it a year-long program. It's a year-long program with a year-long payment plan. I really, really want you to consider if this is the time for you to join the sisterhood and work on yourself. It is available to you now. Let's do the damn thing. Thank you so much for listening. I so appreciate your ears, your time, your energy, and your attention. Please do me a favor and head over to Apple iTunes. Subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Share this episode with a sister who you know needs to hear it. And if you feel called to, leave me a review. I'd love to know what you think about the podcast. I'd love to know how this information is helping you change your world. Thank you so much for being here. I know that there are many podcasts you could listen to. And I really appreciate you listening to mine. Have a gorgeous week, honey.